Welcome everyone to the Marvel Movie Podcast by Fantastic Geek. My name is Matt and joining me as always is Pete. Hello Pete. If you aim at nothing, you hit nothing. The Marvel Movie Podcast by Fantastic Geek for Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings is brought to you by Beef. Because that's all we have. Pete, here we are. So happy to be podcasting Shang-Chi. The weekend that it has hit disney plus uh obviously a little bit of a delay making the choice to watch this at home as opposed to in theaters uh but just incredibly excited to be diving into this newest entry into the mcu uh and we're able to do so with some farther perspective in terms of the box office uh this movie released september 1st 2021 had a 75 million dollar opening weekend and would go on to make 430 million dollars worldwide that you know, th- that a number that has been tempered a bit by COVID concerns and whatnot. But that's a re- that's a really healthy number kind of objectively. Then you factor in less people going to the movies due to COVID and COVID concerns. It's an extremely healthy number. The highest grossing movie of the year to this point, hitting Disney Plus behind just the subscription wall, not through the... Uh, the uh, premiere access that they had run out with uh, Black Widow. Um, Cases in our area uh, were rising at the time, so we had made the decision not to uh, attend a theater to see this. So now that it has hit Disney+, Plus, bringing it to you, thank you for bearing with us. And Pete, on that topic of Disney+, Plus, just yesterday we did our... Disney Plus Day 2021 podcast uh, that showed up multiple places, pop culture podcast feed or Mandalorian feed, the Hawkeye feed and other places. Uh, and certainly, Pete, that was uh, that was a really fun podcast to record as we looked at everything that was shared, discussed some things that maybe weren't quite yet shared, but uh, exciting times ahead on the old D+. This, as we're pulling back the string there on our Hawkeye preview in a couple days, And that streaming uh, debut, two episodes there, 10 days from today, Matt, it's hard to believe, uh, Thursday, November 24th, we'll be bringing you the first uh, podcast episode. Um, This all as uh, Star Trek Discovery Season 4 starts to stream this week. You know that show, what used to star Michelle Yeoh. In the franchise, she may return to. Well, certainly, yeah, fingers crossed that she comes back to Discovery. Uh, And and it's funny, as we were wrapping up the Disney Plus podcast yesterday, I was looking at the podcast calendar they have on the wall, and I was like, wait, Discovery, is is that next week? Um, And I have like a monster workday planned on on, uh, the Thursday that Discovery 401 comes out. And I was like, all right, do I watch it in between this and that the other? I'm like, no. I'm going to finish my day. I'm going to come home late. I'm going to have me some dinner. I'm going to watch Discovery. Uh, so you're just, going to the virtual premiere with me anyway, and you know that. Well, finger fingers crossed on that. But you know, Pete, just it's we're about to get real busy on our various podcasts. But to think that we have a Marvel movie we're about to talk about, Star Trek, um, Marvel TV show ahead. You know, Star Trek and a Marvel TV show. Uh, head more marvel stuff it's just exciting and then pete we get to that's just november get to december and uh what's in store there the book of boba fett star wars we do it all when we catch you up on what went down pete not a full-on mcu prologue in that it happens after the mcu logo uh, but functionally a prologue here uh, where, you know, as the, as it's unfolding uh, in Mandarin, you kind of say, okay, you know, the subtitles, the subtitles. And there's a certain point where you go, okay, the movie is committing to not switching to English as soon as possible by way of the Magic Crystal or by way of the Universal Translator or by way of Hunt from Red October, Judgment at Nuremberg, Zoom into the Lips and whatnot. 
No, we are going to listen to the beautiful sounds of Mandarin and read the subtitles and hear the tone in their voices, in their natural, uh, you know, in their natural uh, undubbed uh, and, and home languages and what that, uh, whatnot. And I think it's the movie establishing itself to say, hey, it's kind of time to meet somewhere in the middle. We're not going to completely make a Hollywood movie. We're not going to completely make um, a completely foreign film, you know, in the Hong Kong style or mainland China, you know, the, the whole nine yards. Welcome to Shang-Chi. Yes. And for thousands of years here, the Ten Rings transition into this idea of Talo and everything that's uh, associated with it by uh, means of this moving maze and this just stunning sequence where we have the leader of the Ten Rings, who we'll ultimately know as uh, Wenwu, uh, meeting the mother, eventual mother of Shang-Chi and Shining. Yeah, and great introduction here of Ying Li, and then the two of them, you know, it, it's a fight, it's a dance, it's a romance all in one, um, just, just really, really stunning, and... I know in the in the um, Marvel Studios assembled uh, behind the scenes thing that's on Disney Plus, references made. I think actually by Simu Liu, um, references made like this is such a beautiful setting, and every single stitch of it has been made. Uh, I'll say by hand. I mean, I, I think there is some you know green screen, blue screen element in there, but you know this is a set, and it's just gorgeous to look at. Great introduction. Uh, to everything and then of course we lead into a little bit about the pendants yeah which effectively function as a MacGuffin early on in the film to bring the two of them together and, and what they unlock so really more of like a visual association of what's coming uh, to present day which for them is 2023 San Francisco parking cars and passion. Yeah. And I mean, what a great, what a just fantastic intro. You see the car, you see the guy get out the way that the scene is shot, which Pete, by the way, directed by Destin, Daniel uh, Cretton, who, you know, on the newer end of things in, in, in Marvel style, you know, he's had a, a smaller indie career, but Director of photography is uh, William Pope, who you might have heard uh, did The Matrix, among other things. But, you know, just this great shot where you can't easily see right away who the driver is. Is that Simu Lee? Nope. Boom. Immediately. Uh, the, the comedic moment there and uh, the easy introduction of, of, at the time, Sean and Katie. You know, it's just... As with a lot of these movies, there's a lot of ground to cover when it's the first, you know, you're introducing the character and then you need the backstory. And I'm sure we'll talk about the inventive way in which the flashbacks slowly get uh, meted out here. But, you know, immediately you go, oh, yeah, no one really aspires to be a to be a valet. Um, and and pretty quickly you get what you think is a. You get the, the the dinner scene, which ends up being you know at the end, and everything else is a frame story and all that. But just kind of this like, yeah, his life, Sean's life, and Katie's life. It's it's not where they would like to be, which you know makes it relatable, Pete. Not that we all sit here and go, oh, my life is terrible, but just that that notion of this is not the Tony Stark, this is not the Bruce Banner. This is these are average everyday people like you and me. Not yet. Uh, it's not the, the Tony Stark, but that's, that's coming. Um, yeah, I mean, this film is about manifesting your purpose and all of our characters do that. And beyond the representation, it's such a celebration of Asian culture, of, uh, all of the techniques of martial arts and to get, a lead in Simu Liu, who's now become an international movie star as a result of this role with Aquafina here, who is perfectly cast as the friend, maybe more. Um, and, and to have them be 
the window into, all right, like you said, you know, life's not going the way you planned, but hey, there's this uh, change of brewing here. And, you know, what a sequence to do that through with the very early characterization of them than this fantastic bus sequence five months in the making. And not just five months in the making, I believe I'm correct in saying they started filming uh, some of the bus stuff prior to the COVID shutdown and then merely just finished it afterwards. So Pete, if they didn't have enough to worry about with all the normal kind of production stuff and, you know, work stuff that everybody in the world went through during the, the COVID lockdown, you know, it's like, hey, while you are in peak physical condition here, hey, don't lose that while you're sitting at home. Uh, hey, while you're working on choreography, don't lose that while you're sitting at home. And it's, you know, it, it just adds to uh, the 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 ease that you can watch this movie and not be like, oh, here's where there's the weight loss or, oh, here's where the skills go down and whatnot. But, you know, the bus sequence is great. I think certainly to my knowledge, I mean, look, bus, action, who's going to drive the bus? Of course, you're thinking speed. Uh, my wife had made the comment, did they clear this with Sandra Bullock? Are, are they allowed to do this without Sandra <laughs> Bullock? Um, but part of what I think is, um, part of what I think this sequence adds is that use, you know, the the extended bus with kind of the accordion yes. thing in the middle to kind of use that as a function in terms of cutting the bus in half and all that. It's just the action cooks. You have the goons knock down one after another after another, but of course they're not thrown out in the first half they're not killed uh because it's the first half of a marvel movie and then to have that shot bump 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 they're all popping back up again i mean it's just it is a thrilling thrilling sequence and you've previously established that uh katie you know drives super fast and she can do it so it's believable when she takes the wheel of the bus what you not established is that sean has any kind of martial arts ability so it's the surprise of that and you pair it up together and this is a top tier marvel sequence it really is and then add to it some of the exterior shots you know which were filmed in san francisco um as near as my eyes could tell that's a real bus hitting real cars while smushed against a real uh, garbage truck maybe there's some digital trickery in there or whatnot but it just there are certain things where you go, oh man, is your lead hanging out of a bus going 30 miles an hour over the hills of San Francisco without a rig? Okay, there's probably some effect stuff there. And if it looks ever so less than, you know, uh, realistic, you just immediately go, okay, I get it. Because we're not going to kill a guy hanging off a bus here. Um, but I think I, I think it's safe enough to have a stunt driver, you know, smash into cars and whatnot. And it just added, it added realism. So you're maybe a little less concerned about, uh, you know, is the, uh, is the digital edge, uh, on the knife of, uh, of, uh, uh, razor fist, you know, how real does that look? You kind of can't tell because there, there are real elements in this scene. And then to have the pendant snatched from, uh, Shung Chi after, saving everybody on the bus uh to push us into the next sequence here with the macau fight ring and on the way to macau uh i, I had read something online the last couple of days and apologies i don't remember where it's from uh maybe buzzfeed i don't know but anyhow pointing out that when sean needs to tell katie how to properly pronounce shang chi uh mm -hmm. which pete i don't even know that even as we say shang chi i don't know that we're nailing it 100 percent, but we, as with a lot of things we're doing our we're doing our darndest um that's not just education for katie it's an opportunity to say to the audience wait how is it sean shung shing you know like to kind of mm -hmm. to get it out properly um but yeah then all of a sudden we're in macau the music is great uh it's such a unique space that fight ring place and kind of you buy it yeah. in a skyscraper yeah in a skyscraper and you and it's you know oh streamed and bet on the dark web you kind of go yeah uh-huh uh like again pete maybe i'm not on the dark web enough i don't know how real or unrealistic this is but you just buy it as okay yeah um and of course in the center ring you would have something that's beyond sumo versus 
somebody else. Of you know, of course, you're going to have somebody like uh, Wong, and um, surprise, surprise, the return of Abomination all, all the way, all the way since uh, July 2008, if memory mm-hmm. serves correct. Yes, but here updated to his classic comic appearance there with the they almost look like uh you know dragon ears on the side of his face wong repeatedly refers to him as emil okay and a character that we know is coming along with bruce banner in she hulk yeah so great when these little references or when these um hints for future things or, or, or things of that sort, when they're at their best, they also just work by themselves. Like to sit and go, hey, the nice friend from the Doctor Strange movies, he's fighting a monster. Oh, and they're actually monster friends at the end. Okay, that just works by itself. The notion that it's also uh, a, a, a dust-off of a character that hasn't been used you know, since 2008, all the better. Uh, and then the fact that for some people, they're going to watch... They're going to watch She-Hulk and go, oh, wait, that's the guy from the thing. Oh, wait, that's now I understand. That's the guy from the one Marvel movie that I can't see on Disney+. Plus. I know this is the Spider-Man <laughs> stuff, too, but that's I don't remember the exact that's time. coming. Yeah, it's coming. It's maybe not in the next couple of years, but the Spider-Man stuff, Sony and Disney are friends now, blah, blah, blah. But um, but yeah, like it's yeah, Pete. It's like old Josephus Loeb used to say, hashtag it's all connected. And to get the introduction of Shai Ling here as the sister and to have that happen by way of the next card on the fight and, of course, for her to kick her brother's butt. And to to kick him where uh, she does, uh, I think that hammers home that this is a fight between siblings. You know, I just, I just have to think, you know, center ring at... At, at the fight club here, you know, there, there's some, some level of rules, but of course the boss gets to break the rules, especially when this is, you know, when this is a sibling fight, um, that then of course leads to the really great scaffolding fight. And, uh, Pete, another goodie from the assembled behind the scenes, they had literally assembled the scaffolding to be on a rig. So the scaffolding could be at a 45-degree angle so people could practice. And then, you know, if you slipped, you just kind of slid nicely down the side of the building. Um, and then they could put it put the scaffolding back up at full height in order to, you know, to do it for real. So stuff like that, stuff like that blows my mind because in retrospect, you go, well, of course, it's a genius idea. That way people don't get hurt. You don't need to have people, you know, rigged. They can just practice at a slower speed. But um, But when you watch the... When you watch it in the movie, on the one hand, you know they're not doing this over, you know, over a twenty-story drop, but it looks like they are. And the the use of the bamboo as scaffolding—I don't know if that's really a thing, uh, but you know, really novel to look at. And you know, the way that's built into the sequence with Katie hanging off of it as it's bending and then shang chi going out to save her and then you know using it to to do the stunts off you know really really novel particularly since <laughs> since it is bamboo you know oh no the sword mist kachunk oh no the 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 punch mist kachunk and all of a sudden now pieces are falling you know all that it's 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 really fantastic the 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 summation though of the fight is that uh, Shang-Chi and Katie uh, and Xiling end up being captured and brought to the compound, um, which, though they have lost the fight, and yes, they're kind of nominally captured, there's also a bit of a homecoming sense mm-hmm. to it, um, which, among other things, is, you know, th- th- there's the great thing where, you know, Shang-Chi is going to go with Dad, oh, send the girls to their room, and... I think we can all say, oh, you know, unfair to the girls, especially to the daughter and, and all of that. Mm-hmm. The fact that it's also doing double duty for uh, for the secret scene, which was not always the secret scene. Um, they weren't quite sure where they wanted to put that scene. Um, but the fact that it's planting seeds in addition to telling you things about the characters right now, it shows what an intelligent script this is. Right. And, you know, this is the year of the Marvel dinner scene. You know, we've had that 
in Black Widow, which really shoots that movie into overdrive. And here to gather all our principles and have them have dinner. So the result is we can retcon the Mandarin. And just perfectly so. Now I will say this, Pete. I I am okay with Iron Man 3 the way it is. I think that it is I think that what people overlook when they say, Oh, you made a fool out of the Mandarin, fine. You let let's remove some of the least uh the, the least modern elements of the comics character, but you know, damage was done to my heart that you turned the Mandarin into a fool in Trevor Slattery. A I think people kind of forget that in Iron Man 3, the Trevor Slattery reveal kind of sort of then makes, at the time, at the time, kind of sort of made the Guy Pierce character actually the Mandarin because he was the actual bad guy. Um, also, I think it's an interesting um, it's an interesting notion that the Mandarin in Iron Man 3 kind of sort of a Bin Laden stand-in ultimately is a product of this country a la you know hey let's give this bin laden guy weapons in the 1980s it'll all work out right i think that's an interesting story place to take it fine it didn't land with a lot of the comics people there's the uh all hail the king um dvd short which now is on disney plus Mm -hmm. um which starts the retconning well or continues with trevor slattery as the actor but then says no no the meal the, the real mandarin wants to get you Pete, with all that in mind, I was nonetheless shocked to see Sir Ben Kingsley show up and for them to just commit to the, the the mistakes of the past. And as you say with the dinner scene, to talk about the notion of names and naming, which is already baked into the story with, mm-hmm. you know, Sean and Shang-Chi and American and Chinese background and you know names and origin and family and all of that. And to just be able to come all the way around and go... And we're going to find this funny goofball, super talented actor, and we're just going to lean into the whole thing because it turns out with all these twists and turns, we put a bow on it and it's perfect. Well, let's just be clear. Ben Kingsley is the super talented actor. Trevor Slattery is not. (laughs) Yes. But to to get him back and to have him serve a, a dual purpose, one to link back to I mean, you say the mistakes of the past. I I think the way the Mandarin was handled originally really works. And I think that this film makes it clear, like, okay, well, they had appropriated that identity. And by the way, I have many identities. And America was scared of an orange. I mean, that it's such a great line, a, a chicken dish <laughs> uh, to to do that there. And to have Trevor be the translator for, you know, Morris and this cute little, you know, creature that really defies an easy description as a window into what tallow is. Yeah, and it it gives Ben Kingsley more to do. Um, it, it, it lets him be a comedic presence. Uh, Pete, saved for another day, I've heard... There's another Marvel movie out there that's sorely lacking in things like humor. Uh, but here with Morris, um, <laughs> Morris and Trevor combined is great. I mean, Pete, let's not forget the monkeys were acting like they were riding horses. That's the <laughs> trick of it. I mean, it's just, I know Ben Kingsley didn't write that line, it, but it's just, I mean, writer. Yeah, he says it. Writer plus actor equals <laughs> equals the, the the truth of of fiction and it's just such a beautiful thing also beautiful we get to tao low we have fantastical lovely creatures uh like uh the dragon horse we have some of the other some of the other flying creatures there and then pete the most lovely creature of all auntie nan yes michelle yo here having already appeared she's she's on the short list now of actors who have been in the Marvel Cinematic Universe previously. Uh, She's in the end credit sequence of uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, and now playing a second character here in Auntie Nan. Yeah, and I think Michelle Yeoh is there on her own merits in terms of uh, an actress of the stature that that she is, uh, and all of that, then add to it, Oh yeah, 
the lady can still, you know, perform martial arts for the screen. Um, Pete, it's a reminder that there's a great ton of Asian cinema out there. Uh, a lot of it more accessible than it used to be. I mean, if you enjoyed Shang-Chi, check out some of the, uh, some of the Jackie Chan stuff that's on HBO Max, uh, some of which Michelle Yeoh is in. I mean, it, it, it's great to have her here. Uh, in a little bit, when we're in the uh, when we're in the the bamboo dome, there, a lot of that is Michelle Yeoh as Michelle Yeoh doing doing the moves, doing the the, the choreography of the fight and the dance uh, that that are one and the same and whatnot. And again, she's just a great great presence here. I was worried they were going to reintroduce her as the mother figure that she had aged, and that's her now, and that she gets her own identity as a character um, and to be the mentor character here, obviously something in the second act of her career that she's done beyond being a, a bona fide martial arts worldwide draw uh, and tremendous talent, you know, just perfectly placed. This, this is how, if, if you're going to bring an actor back to the MCU um, in a different role. This is how to do it. We get uh, around this point some more uh, information about mom's death, murder at the hands of the Iron Gang, um, as well as just the the, the stunning, um, you know, gambling den scene. Mm -hmm. um, now is as good a time as any to point out. Take, take your son to work day. Yeah. Holy cow. Yeah. Uh, the, the way this film deals with the need to have a ton of exposition and a ton of backstory uh, and to do it by, uh, by flashback and to do it by interspersed flashback, um, it's a master class on how to do it. The information comes when, when we, the audience, need it in our heart. It's not even like, but wait. Why, 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 and how did mom die? Oh, let's do it here. When we actually need to know when we meet auntie, not whatever. No, it's just kind of, it, it makes sense on an emotional level. Um, it's part of this evolving way. Just for example, how we, how we look at when as like, okay, we kind of know he's a bad guy, but he kind of just wants his kids back and he's built. Okay. He's like a bad guy. He's an anti-hero. And just when you're like, I don't want to say losing track like we're not paying attention or losing track like the story is not being clear. But when you're like, all right, dad, just is it the worst thing that he wants them to join the, the Tony Soprano family? You know, is it? Oh, no, he brought his son to work and killed a whole bunch of people. And the camera told me it was so terrible that the camera couldn't watch it. The camera had to look at the kid who was horrified. That makes it so much worse. That makes it worse violence. Um, I mean, again, you're getting fantastic direction cinematography choreography the whole thing to tell a story here and what this film doesn't do is forget its characters and as we're getting the full narrative dump on shang chi and shai ling and you know how their pasts link up now with their present to get katie as the every woman, as the person, I, I think one of our commenters for uh, the the uh, podcast here today talks about her being the, the one that says the things that we would. Um, and for her to finally find her passion, her purpose here, shooting the arrows and much like Jai Ling uh, at first, uh, no, you're, you're going to be held out of this. And then that destiny forces her into it. And I, I don't mean to make, I, I don't mean to make an unnecessary uh, archer to archer connection here. But like, if you think of the original Avengers lineup, one of those characters is going to be the character that flies a nuclear bomb into the wormhole, and one of those characters is never going to be that. And Hawkeye, by virtue of his powers and so on and so forth, he's going to do other things in the story. He's never going to be the one in the suit to fly the thing in space into, you know, blah, blah, blah. Similarly, as we get a lay of the land for the next 10 years of the MCU, to be establishing Katie and to be using Aquafina in a way where 
it, she's just not the supporting she's not a supporting character in this story she's the second build person and to be setting her up um with where she ends up in the end of the movie which is there side by side with shang chi um again i don't think that when we have you know when we have the the <laughs> the end game two for lack of a better word when we have an end game level avengers movie in six years or something i don't expect katie to be the one to be like no and i am katie snap save the day but she's going to be one of those people there who's part of it the whole way and who's adding humanity humor drama whatever it is um more than you know i have powers i fly and things like that right like you know who is she gonna throw to the ground there for you know soul stone version two <laughs> um, you know but but just the the promise that a, a character introduced now and a, a star like aquafina um is now in the mcu now has this big platform from which to perform uh it's it's tantalizing which you know makes this whole soul-sucking finale with the great protector dragon coming to the rescue at the very end there against the dweller in darkness and her taking the shot all the more satisfying this final scene i found to be a tad too long now where would i remove things from i don't know does that mean that maybe you know this isn't maybe necessarily the dessert of the meal but if this is the if this is the main entree all right fine it's a rich ending uh perhaps a tad too rich for my taste i don't know but all the character beats that are needed are hit uh the motivations are clear uh we're fully invested in the characters here and, and as you say pete though it's primarily you know, son versus dad and good triumphs. We also have Katie as the every woman, as the every person helping make that possible as well. Um, and successful end. And then boom, that return to the dinner, which now you find out was a frame story, not an early on scene um, where they're recounting everything. And the, the, the other couple doesn't believe it. Uh, and then, you know, well, just let's be clear. It's two different dinners. Oh, is it? It is. Yes. Okay. Well, uh, I, Pete, I did not, I did not pick up on that. Um, but certainly it's a great way to kind of bring everything back home and go, wow, this was an out there world. Cause not forget too, Pete, am I correct in saying, you know, Tao Lo is not of this earth, right? It's some other yeah. dimension, right? You know, yeah. so we, we've literally left this existence for another existence and it's so fantastical, but still we can come back and ground it in, a crazy story that you tell at dinner and it's not being believed. And then boom, the, the, the Wong, the, the, the Wong, um, you know, calling the two of them. I mean, it's just, it's just a, a, a great ending to the body of the movie, but wait, Pete, there's more. Right. To have that be the first, the, the mid credits scene of the two end credit scenes here where we've got Wong, where we've got Bruce Banner, in the sling, not as smarty pants Hulk. And then we've got Carol Danvers. The time is a little nebulous because, all right, Bruce is not the Hulk anymore, yet he's still wearing a sling. But Carol now has long hair, and she had the short haircut at the end of Endgame. I think these are questions that we are meant to uh, to be wondering because those, I think, if I'm correct, whether this was in the Assembled or whether I read it somewhere, um, there always was going to be, you know, uh, take the next step into the larger world. You know, Wong says it. There always was going to be this scene where they say, they say things and they say, welcome to the fam, fam. Uh, who those people were who the Avengers were, who were going to be on the other, the other side of the hollow phone call was not always nailed down. So my point is this, this is not a case of, Oh man, Mark is already on set for something else, whether it's Marvel or not. Mark's already on set. Let's quick have him do this while he's in the COVID protective zone and just, just quick film it. And, and we'll figure it out later. Oh crud. He's in a sling that we messed up. No, this is intentional. These are all intentional choices. Pete, 
despite the fact that uh, Daniel, uh, pardon me, Destin Daniel Cretton has worked with Brie Larson a number of times before, which is great that she's able to come back. Uh, you know, again, his his career. I must admit, Pete, uh, I got some watching to do. I've not seen. Uh, I'm not a hip, hipster. Uh, Short Term Twelve, The Glass Castle, The Shack, or Just Mercy. But I think she's been in. I've she's, seen The Glass Castle. Okay, was it was it good? Oh, it's based on a book. Yeah. Okay. Um, but yeah, she's she's been his female lead in at least two of those movies and so on and so forth. So my point is this: it might be like, well, of course Brie Larson is going to be in the Destin Daniel Cretton Marvel movie. No, that wasn't always the case. Um, so I think some of these are I think these are questions that we're meant to wonder. I'll just also mention Pete just yesterday on that Disney Plus Day podcast uh, where we talk about She Hulk and the presence of Hulk in it. Uh, no sling in that. So, you know, put that in your theory pipe and smoke it, I guess. Well, so, you know, he's he's Hulk there. Uh, and, you know, listeners may or may not know that Jennifer Walters is his cousin and in the comics gets the Hulk transfusion from him. Is that what has briefly turned him back into human form in this scene don't fully understand the same way we're not meant to understand right now what this beacon in the 10 rings is signaling yeah and i i would wonder does marvel know or did marvel say (laughs) it's a beacon and in three years we can go oh there's another beacon and at the end of that movie you go and it's a beacon because the Silver Surfer is coming or Galactus or whatever it might be. Like, they don't need to necessarily have an answer. Uh, and that's okay. But I think if nothing else, this post-credit scenes, uh, post-credit scene, uh, there's a second one we're about to discuss. But this one makes it very clear, hey, Shang-Chi, you have been called up for duty ASAP. Contrasted with maybe, you know, as much as I love the Ant-Man films, that first Ant-Man movie is kind of... They're kind of in their own little corner of story, and that's it. Uh, I'd even say that's largely the same for Ant-Man and the Wasp, and that's part of the fun of that movie, because you go, when does it take place? When does it take place? Oh, they didn't do anything. Okay, post credit scene. Oh, my goodness, they got dusted. You know, they kind of saved that for then. Um, conversely, here, we're saying, nope, guess what, bud? Tap on the shoulder. You two just got drafted. See you in the big game next season. Right, and that whatever this beacon might be for they're now involved in you know hence the idea welcome to the to the circus uh for Zhai Ling at the end of this film and her trajectory to be in charge of the 10 rings and that not you know Shang-Chi will return of course he will Zhai Ling will return of course she will but that the 10 rings will return when and how will they return and will they be different that we've we've got the two ten rings we've we've got the bracelets with a beacon not of this world and we've got this one time thousand plus year old uh criminal organization uh that's that's been appropriated at least once and you know what is its function now A detailed look at our bad guys, and Matt, we begin with Wen Wu, the legendary Tony Leung, and a super complex character. The fact that Tony Leung uh, was new to me, uh, that's an error that I need to fix. Uh, because he has a charisma. He's not hes not the biggest guy in the movie. He's no Razor Fist-sized kind of fella. Uh, that said, I completely buy his athleticism, his fighting style, and all of that. But he just has... There's an it factor that he has. He, you know, He's a huge star in Asia. And he doesn't have that it factor because he's a huge star. It's because of the it factor that he's turned into a huge star. And you can tell he just he brings it to the character and you, you believe that this guy is a thousand years old and has lived a hundred lives and has, ha- has had all these experiences and all this wisdom and can have 
a moral compass that no longer points to good, but has a moral compass that involves reuniting with his family and passing on the family business and keeping the old traditions and, 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 um, you, you know, blood must be answered in blood and kind of that he lives by a very, um, well-constructed, consistent code. I mean, all of that is made possible by the actor. The writing is great, but it's the actor that brings this to life. So sympathetic, tortured, yet at the same time, there's moments that we loathe him and and then, you know, we're we're rooting for him. Is is he gonna be able to get rid of the rings and get back together with his family? And of course we know he's too far gone. And that's why, you know, his death at the hands of the dweller in darkness is necessary and I would argue, you know, uh, required. And I think it's a death that lets us feel bad about it. This mm -hmm. is not, you know, well, the Emperor gets thrown off the thing and returned to the Jedi and he got what was coming to him. J.J. Uh, took that nugget and did something with it, but that's a story for another day. You feel bad that Wen Wu must die. Uh, and, and I think it's it's clear that the story is requiring it. And, you know, and we buy it. This isn't like, you know, oh, some willful suspension of disbelief. But uh, I don't know. It just, it, it, you don't want him to die even though his time has come. You know, it's, it's it really, really is lovely. In Razor Fist, we have the worst name in the MCU since Taserface. And I think that, I think that uh, Razorfist, who, if I can get through this podcast, not calling him Razorface uh, or or uh, Taserfist, if I can do that, uh, if I can not do that unintentionally, I'll be be proud of myself. I think it's a reminder that um, characters like Razorfist, characters like Morris, characters like Trevor Slattery, a there's a there's a primary uh, purpose to a character like Razorfist being the uh, you know boots on the ground bad guy for a lot of the fight um and also at a certain point kind of a weird proxy for the audience like he's really 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 bad but now here are these demon things that you can't defeat so why don't we team up like when the bad guy says that the threat is too bad too bad to not team up over then you go whoa i get it this really really is terrible um but there is also a level of over-the-top comedy to him so that it's not all mom died and then dad must die and sister is bad at the end like it 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 gives a buoyancy um because he's ridiculous and really too where does the razor go in his arm <laughs> um nanobots <laughs> see Anytime, Pete, you have a story problem and there's even a whiff of sci-fi, you just say nanobots. Oh, Tell me about the Death Dealer, though. How, Pete, where does the Death Dealer uh, measure up in this dossier? I think the Death Dealer, who never gets named on screen, um, visually, great. But overall, I, I think you never get anything more there. And I applaud them for, you know, this this great design and the martial arts sequences. And, you know, if you're not watching the version on Disney Plus where you can get the IMAX aspects during the the more uh, action oriented scenes, that's really the only way to watch these now that that's been incorporated. And obviously they get the mileage from him as an action character uh and i'm glad you mentioned the imax um the, the imax uh option here now on disney plus for a bunch of the bunch of these films i felt like i was so aware that this was a movie that the focus of the shots was in the full widescreen in terms of how characters were moving and that with the imax presentation we were seeing more of the landscape more we were seeing more of things but it was not like hey it's i love lucy so they're going for a close-up and the close-up has to fit the four by three square that's the shot you know again i know this was all this is an imax version it was shot for imax and things like that but in the composition of all these shots 
I think the primary the primary uh, aim was that full widescreen, and then with the IMAXization, you're getting more detail and more beauty to it. And uh, Pete, I I need to go back and rewatch all these MCU IMAX films because it was a it was a stunningly great experience. Yeah, and to have them now at home to have that aspect to it again, value added for disney plus um the dweller in darkness as you know the the cgi creature as the the big threat i think more threatening when it's imitating um uh shang chi's mother more than anything else the idea that it can manipulate our characters the scariness of sucking souls i think only goes so far even in uh, a fantasy movie. Uh, Pete, on a positive side, we did not have a light beam, uh, which is frequently a, a feature <laughs> of third act comic book movies where there's a light beam. Uh, yes, we had a faceless army that was easily, you know, that you could easily kill without getting an R rating, uh, but no light beam. So I give, uh, I give the writers a ton of credit for, for working around the light beam trope. And I think it was really wise to keep this fight one that was in the air and in flight. Uh, and Pete, on that topic, the wind beneath our wings, of course, the people who support us on patreon.com slash fantastic geek. So very pleased, Matt, to be 100% listener supported. That's why you don't have to listen to us pitch things you don't really need. But you get yourself over to patreon.com slash fantastic geek with the ph all one word and you determine the price you put on our content welcome to level seven time to analyze and theorize matt uh posters on the wall in san francisco a location we've already seen post blip about post blip anxiety you are not alone my question to you, who in this movie blipped? Well, first and foremost, I think I'm not sure if being blipped is the more traumatic thing or having lived through the lean times of much of those five years. Because, Pete, whatever the easier one is, I, and I don't know what the answer is, but whatever the easier one is, uh, I feel like that was Katie's reality. I think if we look back to uh, to WandaVision, I think maybe being blipped is easier because you just kind of come back and go, oh, I don't live there anymore. Crud. You know, versus, you know, hey, there's food shortage, dad's gone, you know, and all this. Um, so I'd say Katie blipped, if that's the easier one. Um, Shang-Chi maybe blipped as well because the two of them kind of, partners in crime so one day they're parking cars and five years later they're back and there's still people with cars and they can still park them uh, I, I i think pete this is not a movie that stops the presses to say let me tell you how thanos really impacted the backstory before this movie started uh i think this is a movie that addresses it but also is living in our reality which is that was a really great thing that happened and we're going to kind of reconvene the timeline in the 2023 neck of the woods but it's time to start to move on from this thing um because unlike unlike real world events or maybe like real world events i don't know how easily we forget or or, or not um but we gotta move this story along we can't keep doing the the, the thanos retrospective in every movie uh, so I, I hear your question. Uh, I, I, I've given an answer, but I really think increasingly these movies are going to be well served by not by not having a, you know, stop everything to talk about that Thanos movie that you saw a couple years ago. We have Wong and the Abomination working together here. Uh, is Bruce Banner the link there? You know, it's funny, Pete, because I don't think of Mark Ruffalo having a connection to Abomination. That's how kind of ingrained the Ed Norton Hulk is mm -hmm. in me as both the MCU Hulk and the same Hulk and also somehow different. Um, yeah, I guess that must be the connection. 
Uh, I mean, it's most logical. And do I think we're going to get a major film or TV subplot to connect those two versus just like, oh, yeah, people can assume that, you know, after Jablonski got rehabilitated and, uh, you know, Bruce Banner told him how to control his anger and junk like that. All right. They send him out for secret missions or he started hanging out with Wong or, you know, whatever it is. I think there's enough where you can just infer without it being a major story point. Uh, but, but I like that as a catch there, Pete. Will we get Mo Yo? We better. Let's get more of Michelle Yo. I, I guess what's interesting in that in that ever-present intersection between the story and the real world, like I guess I get why you don't announce a Shang-Chi 2 immediately, or do you even need to do a Shang-Chi 2 when you could do um the Marvels? By which I don't mean put Shang-Chi in Captain Marvel 2. But what I'm saying is, what what was Captain Marvel 2 where we all said, yeah, and then she's going to go off and like save other planets because she's always saving other planets and stuff. To, oh no, it's actually going to be a sequel to Captain Marvel and um, and uh, portions of WandaVision by you know Monica Rambeau, uh, as well as Ms. Marvel. Like, does Shang-Chi just show up in... Uh, in what I don't know, does Shang Chi show up in show up in um, Black Panther two as the something? I I don't know, but we better get Mo Yo. We better get more Shang Chi. Uh, all of them. We gotta get. We better get more of soon. You mentioned, you know, down the road we get our next End Game. Uh, would love to see Michelle Yo leaving leading the uh the resonance of of Talo in the big portal scene where everybody reunites for the the grand battle well and it's like you know why not like when you particularly in a post loki tv series kind of uh landscape where you say oh prior to loki's own show tom hiddleston was in 45 minutes of marvel movies that's not a lot but he had a big impact. The notion that you could get Auntie Nan to show up in a couple of scenes here and a couple of scenes there, and all of a sudden, oh my goodness, in the last five years, Michelle Yeoh as Auntie Nan has shown up in four different movies, and she's, you know, not the Nick Fury connective tissue, but she's here, she's there, and of course she's going to show up at the new big Avengers portals scene showdown thing in the middle of this decade it's auntie non it's what she does like you know bring it on there's that there's that potential and possibility pete let's check twitter to see what people thought of this film we put that uh, tweet up uh what what uh grade would they give the film pete of course it's being graded in rings uh one ring slattery on broadway got zero percent <laughs> Uh, two rings, Legend of the Meh got 2.4%. Three rings, Marvel Delivers got 28.6%. And four rings, Dragontastic got 69%. Uh, by the way, Pete, I can't help but look at this Marvel movie grading and not think of, um, I think sometime in the last six months, um, in, uh, I think it was Cinema Sins, one of those had essentially, or, or Honest Trailers, I think that's what it was, Honest Trailers had said, had had pointed out as a joke, not joke, that essentially what we are looking for from a Marvel movie is a B plus outing every time. Like it's going to be familiar, and we're going to have a good time, and the good guy will win at the end. Occasionally, they deliver stuff in the A category, but like our expectation is a B plus. Um, Pete, judging by this, people gave it more than the B plus seventy nine, almost seventy nine percent gave it uh, an A. For some uh, replies on Twitter, we heard from uh, Noel Gardner. That's at Noel Camille. I saw it twice in theaters, so I went with the IMAX version today. I love anything with dragons in it, and Shang-Chi did not disappoint. The assembled episode was good, too. Five months in the bus. Wow. P.S. Trevor was hilarious. Uh, we also heard from James the Sagacious. That's at Big Killin on Twitter. My, my. This movie starts out as a B- and makes its way to A++ with the introduction of Michelle Yeoh. She's a human cheat code for film slash TV. <laughs> the climax got me excited uh, for better Dragon Ball and Airbender adaptations. What a gem. Great cameos. Looking forward to the pod. 
Uh, we heard also from Andre Yeager. That's at Dr. Polo in 1983. Uh, actually saw it uh, in the theater. Loved it on first viewing and watching it again. Love fight scenes. Makes Iron Fist look like, looks, look like child's play. And the cinematography was gorgeous. Can't wait to see his story going forward in the MCU. Watching the Shang-Chi assembled now, and I have even more respect for the fight sequences. Incredible choreography. Uh, we heard from Mike Carrier. It's also Mike in Cleve 66 on Twitter. Saw it in the theater when it came out and felt so-so about the movie. But uh, once getting to rewatch on Disney+, Plus, I enjoyed it much more. Pete, I feel like I'm that way sometimes, too. Where and again, I think it does tie back into that kind of, you know, honest trailers B plus kind of thing. Like you sit and go, will this be as magical a Marvel movie for me as my most magical movie? And then you walk out of there and go, oh, they kind of did like intro of the thing, and then there was like some magic, and then there was some comedy, and then there was a big fight at the end where my army fought your army, and they somewhere on the sky and somewhere on the ground, and the good guy won in the end. Meh. And then, like, you watch it the second time and go, oh, my goodness, it was so great. There was a little magic and there was some comedy. Are we immune to spectacle, I, I think, is the thesis there. Um, I think to a certain degree. And I think that, look, there's a Marvel movie formula. And I think it can be played with. I think, I think you can use that formula to the highest heights occasionally. I mean, Black Panther being that highest height where you know watch it once and you go oh hey the good guy won and the bad guy won you watch it the second time and you go ooh that line there about you know rejoining his ancestor or even the first time rejoining his ancestors in the sea like oh man there is this meta commentary on the history of, and impact of slavery then you watch it a third time and you go this is also a movie about dads who abandon their sons or or dads who don't abandon their sons and and what that does um but I don't think you necessarily, for for this movie, I don't think you watch it the first time and go, okay, this is really commenting on loss of parents and loss of community. And what does that mean? Chinese community, American community, uh, you know, moving from one place. Da, da, da. I don't think that jumps out at you because you're just like, the bus scene was really cool and Aquafina is funny. And it takes those multiple views to kind of settle into it. Yeah. And the, the commentary on, you know, names, identity, everything there. Um, I, from the moment I saw this, I, I really, really enjoyed it. And um, that hasn't really happened for me where, you know, I, I look at it one way and then I need to rewatch it to gain a, a finer appreciation of it. I, I really hope I'd never suffer from that. Uh, back to the Twitter here, we heard from Spider-Ham Lincoln, that's at TessLC139. Shang-Chi was a fun, original departure from the traditional MCU superhero movies while keeping its roots in the greater universe it inhabits. I look forward to the continuing adventures of Shang-Chi, the Ten Rings, and how they interconnect with the future of the MCU. Uh, we heard from Bruja Escarlata, that's uh, at Modern Priscilla. Uh, since I work at a cinema, I saw it twice when it came out, once in IMAX. I loved it, especially Aquafina. I heard from Margot Banter. That's at Margot Banter. I watched it in theaters, and it was great. We'll watch it again before I listen to your podcast, hashtag Shang-Chi. Uh, and last tweet here, Pete, from AKA Frank Castle. That's at DJ underscore Black, B-L-A-K, uh, 357, who uh, sends only uh, the uh, GIF of the collector yelling magnificent uh and pete i would say uh magnificent that we've had a number of listeners who uh least uh, judging by this twitter feedback here who were may have watched it in september but were okay waiting until the podcast arrived now and uh that's certainly uh much appreciated yeah i mean it was not an easy decision for us to have made i mean as the only podcast to bring you every single marvel movie Every single Marvel show, both on the Marvel Studios side with the Disney Plus stuff that certainly add uh, to everything that's gone on this year, but all the way back to Marvel TV through Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., the only one, um, you know, it was a it was a difficult decision for us to make. But, you know, in the interest of public health and in, in the interest of, you know, everybody 
we made that decision. Okay, we will get to it when it's available uh, via Disney Plus. And, you know, just so pleased to bring it to you now and uh, to, you know, incorporate you guys into the conversation. Well, Pete, as we look down this long future for the MCU, how can people be in touch with you to talk about the road ahead on Twitter? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 12,122 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I'm personally on Twitter's Looking Back Lost, do be in touch with the podcast. Comment on FantasticGeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, Gmail, where we are FantasticGeek as well. But wait, there's more. Facebook.com slash FantasticGeek, all one word with the P and the H. Like it today. If you're listening on the Pop Culture Podcast feed, can't wait to be talking Star Trek Discovery Episode 401 next weekend. If you're here for the Marvel stuff, we'll be shifting over to our Hawkeye feed. And if you're here for Marvel movies, stay tuned. With that, Pete, I will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word. Or...